This week's episode is brought to you by the Communicore Weekly Web Store. Visit CommunicoreWeekly.com, click on the store button, and find everything that your little cadet heart desires. Ghost Whistle Shirt! Welcome to season three. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. Man, those advertisements at the beginning of the show, they just get crazy. I think somebody was hijacking that one. <laughs> crazy and spooky. Yeah, super spooky. I don't know. I don't know. Well... Speaking of ghost whistles, I mean, not not that I was the one that did that, but... I was going to say. We, we just got, re, like, legit confirmation that there still is one at Disneyland. That's true. That's true. You did, didn't you? I did. I had to prove it to someone. For those of you listening, uh, Justin Scarred from Random Land, he didn't believe me, and we sat there till we heard it. There's a ghost whistle, guys, and it's coming for you. <laughs> Great, and I look behind me. Did you really? Yeah. I knew geez. you were going to. Well, we do have a lot to do in this episode, so let's get to it. It's the 50th anniversary of the 64 World's Fair and the 49th anniversary of the 1965 <laughs> Previously on Communicore Weekly. No, really. The la- uh, our last episode, episode 134, uh, we-, we started talking about great moments with Mr. Lincoln. So in the last one... Illinois had agreed to sponsor Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln for the 1964-1965 New York World's Fair, after Walt and Robert Moses had spent a long time looking for a sponsor. And when the final agreement was approved, it was August 1963, only eight months before the fair was set to open. Then, to help speed the process along, Jim Alger was joined by Newman, a, uh, a Lincoln scholar, to help write the script, since Lincoln's words would be instrumental to the show itself. Now, while some pushed for the Gettysburg Address, Walt disagreed, stating that everyone would kind of be expecting that and it would be kind of anticlimactic. He wanted something a little bit more. He wanted his words to kind of reflect current problems in the world. Yeah, and you know, since Russia was sort of uh, a troubled situation of that time, Newman found snippets of other Lincoln speeches that could be applied to that problem. He and Algar finalized the script on August 22, 1963, composed of bits and pieces from many other public addresses. With words in hand, it was now time to program the figure to recite them and create the most lifelike recreation possible. Programming him would take a great deal of time and patience, and most importantly, rehearsal. His movements had to appear stately and presidential, and not mechanical or contrived, like like us. Yeah, we're totally contrived. Totally. We are robots from the year 2000. We are robots. The humans are dead. Um, so... <laughs> Sorry. Mark Davis, he actually took the script, and he began to animate Lincoln on paper. Every head turn, every nod, every arm movement, everything. He worked it all out in real time. And then he handed it off to Waythel Rogers and others, who followed those animations for the figure itself. And the problem was that if you made a mistake, the system was so primitive that you actually had to start over all over again. Just like every time mm. we mess up here on Communicore <laughs> Weekly, we start the entire show over. 
<laughs> so much much like us it was a lot of trial and error and it took you know a little bit of time just to get it right and the programming for the figure went well into 1964 but when it was done it was extremely realistic <laughs> yeah the the next major step was finding the right voice for honest abe you know there were no recordings of his voice ever taken however uh, there was much written about how he sounded so they had a checklist to work off of his voice was a little higher than ordinary which helped him be heard by large crowds he'd start high and then modulate as he went on the search went on and they came to royal dano who was recently in the disney film savage sam now, Dano had the same characteristic as Lincoln that Walt admired, and he had even actually portrayed him on television for a film, so he was pretty much perfect for the role. And when it came time to record, Royal actually dressed as Lincoln and gave the speech. Um, but the issue was, every time he gave it, Walt jumped up and said, no, no, that's not how he would do it. And eventually, Royal got a little weary and disheartened and angry. And all these emotions kind of began to come through in his performance, um, to which Walt finally said, hey, that, that was perfect. And it wasn't actually till later that uh, he realized that Walt was trying to kind of naturally elicit those feelings out of Royal, um, as opposed to directing him, so it would come across better on the recording. And, of course, uh, you know, it, it worked. It was just showing off a little bit of Walt's uh, magic touch yet again. <laughs> Walt also at one time intended to have a uh, special speeches for specific days of the year. For example, he wanted ones for Memorial Day, 4th of July, and Labor Day. Uh, Alger wrote the scripts, and it's even reported that Dana recorded these extra speeches. However, due to time and cost factors, the figure itself was never programmed to do them, and so we only got the one speech during the main show. Now, the show couldn't, it wouldn't just consist of Lincoln on stage, however. Uh, they actually needed to be a pre-show as well. So they hired an outside uh, firm to do it, but no one was really happy with their idea of a projected floor show. So instead, it was agreed that Wed would kind of take on the responsibility as well. And the show, uh, again, scripted by Alger, was titled The Story of the Gettysburg Ad Address, which kind of, you know, worked the Gettysburg Address into the show, and was a multi-voice show that featured the story and speech in real time. Um, and it actually featured uh, Dano, uh, Dano, sorry, as Lincoln as he gave it. And the show was set to a lot of images and illustrations of the man and the speech itself. And not only was it to serve the need to have the Gettysburg Address in the show, but it also introduced Royal, uh, Royal's voice as Lincoln before the main show actually started to get you know people used to it. Sure. You know, there hadn't been much in the news about Disney producing the Illinois State Attraction until October 1963, when Midwest Magazine ran a full-color story on it, featuring photos of the Imagineers working on the figure. This opened the floodgates to controversy. Many people questioned the judgment and good taste of recreating a man who was so historically sacred to the nation's history. And it wasn't just the press that expressed these concerns. You know, even during the design process, some Imagineers had second thoughts about the whole thing. But Walt kept them on track, and everyone had faith in him. It really got so bad and outspoken against the pavilion that the chairman for the Illinois Commission for the Fair arranged for Walt and Robert Moses to actually speak to the joint session of the legislature for uh, Illinois. And the meeting uh, took place on November 19, 1963, the centennial anniversary of the Gettysburg Address, funny enough. Um, so it was a full house in there. And after some opening remarks from the governor and Ralph Newman, Walt took center stage and gave pretty much the performance of a lifetime. He showed off the sketches. He showed off some of the voice recordings. He explained that Lincoln would stand uh, before the crowd just as lifelike as he was, if not more so. And by the end of it, he had pretty much won everybody over and the response was overwhelmingly positive. 
So the Illinois Pavilion was the only pavilion of the four Disney designed that WED was not responsible for the building itself, nor were they responsible for any of the other exhibits within the building, minus providing the scripts, the artwork, and the music. Uh, when Walt arrived in New York on April 10th, he was consumed by all four of his exhibits, though. But he did drop into the Illinois Pavilion to see how things were going. At one point, he decided he didn't like the tile floor because it was too noisy and asked to have it carpeted instead. When Illinois said they didn't have the money to do so, Walt funded it himself, just so the entire pavilion would be better overall. Now, it wasn't until April 16, 1964, just one week before the fair was open, that the Lickin figure had passed its final test back at WED in California and was deemed ready to ship to New York. Unfortunately, his arrival was delayed just a little bit. The day he was actually supposed to arrive was also the opening day of Shea Stadium, so traffic was pretty bad and he actually didn't arrive until the very next day. Um, when he did arrive and the te technicians, they kind of scrambled to install him and have it ready for the dignitary preview on April 20th, they only found that when it was all said and done, he did not work. <laughs> yeah, imagine how cool it would have been to have Lincoln throw out the first ball. At, at Shea? That would have been great. That would have been awesome. Though robot wow. hands are probably much stronger than human hands. That's true. So he probably would have thrown it like 4,000 miles per hour. Yeah, well, would have been memorable. Anyway. That's true. <laughs> okay. There are many, many explanations as to why the figure didn't work when needed. So much that it has taken on almost mythical status. Uh, one was that the figure itself was faulty. He'd work fine one minute and the next go into convulsions, accidentally smashing the chair he was to sit in. Another was that the union uh, hired to install the wiring, uh, though uh, caring for it for 18 hours a day, never completed the job. And another was that power fluctuations were causing the issue. But Ralph Newman was convinced it was actually Walt himself that was the issue. He thought being the master showman, he wanted the exhibit to open with grand flair and not in competition with all the other pavilions of the fair. Whatever the reason actually was, Lincoln did not open with the rest of the fair, nor did it open for the April 20th preview. Um, actually, on that preview day, uh, in the 500-seat auditorium, it was filled to capacity with dignitaries. And Imagineers were behind the scenes, and they were working frantically to get it done. And Walt, he was actually at the Procusland preview, he signed autographs for 45 minutes before heading over to Lincoln, just to give them a little more time to work. Um, but unfortunately, Walt had to report to the audience that he would not show them the show until it was perfect. And though the Imagineers and Walt were disappointed, Walt did give them kind of like a pep talk and told them he believed they can work it out, and that's what they had to do. <laughs> and, and work out they did. They worked for almost 20 hours a day until they worked all the bugs out. The show opened on May 2nd, 1964 to great fanfare, and then Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was a huge success. The audiences loved it and walked away feeling inspired, educated, and amazed at what Walt and his team had accomplished. A, a group of violent protesters called CORE, which stood for the Congress for Racial Equality, who had been protesting at the fair, were ready to stage a violent protest during the show. Instead, according to Bob Gurr, they were awestruck and quiet during the entire performance, with some of them even crying. It was quite awe-inspiring. Now, despite it being a success, some of the Imaginers stayed for a while just to make sure there were going to be no extra problems. They actually had a man stationed in the back with a walkie-talkie in case there was an issue and the show had to be shut down, and that did happen on a couple of occasions. Also, 
people after the show commented to some of the staff that, uh, you know, that guy doing that must get tired doing the same speech all day long, actually believing it to be a real actor. Kids actually were shooting ball bearings at him, hoping to mess the quote-unquote actor up. Um, there was even one news report of Lincoln getting off stage and shaking hands with audience members after one show. People really believed he was a real person. They kind of exaggerated it in their head a little bit. Yeah. Well, the show was a smash hit for both seasons of the fair. Everyone loved it, and Robert Moses counts it as one of the biggest accomplishments of the fair itself. Because of its continued success, and uh, you know, Walt announced in December 1964 that the show would also open in Disneyland during the summer of 1965. It was the first time ever that the same attraction would run on both the East and the West Coast at the same time. Though it closed at the, at the fair at the end of the 1965 season, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln still continues to inspire audiences today at Disneyland. I love that show. I think it's great. I, do. I think yeah. it's wonderful. I do too. Um, you know, I, I'm glad to really get confirmation because in the book Tomorrowland, they talk about the rival gangs throwing ball bearings at Lincoln. Yes. And I heard that as a story, and that was the first time I'd seen it in print with a uh, sort of backup reference material. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's been a favorite well. story for years, so it was good to actually get like real confirmation about it. So thank you, uh, Joseph Trella, which, by the way, if you have not <laughs> read that book, we reviewed it, yes. uh, I don't know how many episodes ago, but it's great. It's a wonderful book about the World's Fair and the world in general in the 1960s. So, but if you have any comments or questions about Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, please give us a call in the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628. Once again, that's 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Summer of Yesterday by Gabby Triana. Okay, so Summer of Yesterday was recommended to us by our good friend Estelle over at This Happy Place blog. Uh, she's an avid, sometimes rabid, haha, teen fiction reader and reviewer and a huge Disney fan. So, you know, we made sure we paid attention when she suggests something to us. And uh, I know when we got the review copies that we dug into the book fairly quickly and, and we were both kind of surprised. You guys already know how critical George and I are of fiction set at beloved theme parks such as Walt <laughs> Disney World. And some authors don't really get the resorts, and it makes for some kind of frustrating location changes and plot points along the way and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. when something comes across our desk and it's good and it's Disney accurate, of course, we're going to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. So what really, though, what, what caught our attention about the book is it's set at Walt Disney World. Yay. Fort Wilderness and River Country, to be exact. And it's got time travel. Boom. Hey. Review over, everyone. <laughs> we're done. Thank what you. What more do you need to know? Yeah. I mean, come on. Time travel? Doctor Who? Back to the Future? It sounded like an awesome read for both of us. And, um, you know, what else can we say? But we should go on to say a little bit more. Okay, I'll say a little more. So, like George said, it actually features a lot of Doctor Who references, which, of course, only earned it more uh, brownie points for me. Mm -hmm. um, but the book itself, it's about Haley, a teenage girl, of course, because it's a, a teen novel, and she just recently suffered her first seizure. And she's kind of under strict watch of her father, who forces her to take a vacation with her young siblings and her stepmother to Fort Wilderness. And that causes her to miss out on all the fun that she would be having at home with her friends. However, uh, when sneaking into the abandoned river country one night, which, by the way, don't do, 
<laughs> Haley right. actually suffers another seizure, and somehow this triggers time travel back to 1982. Yeah, so she finds herself in a place she's never seen before with people that are dressed strangely. Uh, and once, you know, Haley figures out where and when she is. Eh? Eh? Um, the question I is know. a where constable, but That's when? Right. But when the book really picks up speed at that point in time, it uh, uh, you know, she has to figure out how to get back to her her time while avoiding the Disney security officers and other Disney employees, and she has to avoid her parents who haven't really met yet. Uh, and then there are a few other suspicious cast members running around, and then she runs into Jason. Oh, and you need you need yeah, I was going to say you need to put the Ah, uh, what a dreamboat. Did they use dreamboat in in the 80s? I think that's just the 50s. Never mind. I take that back. Well, yeah, but if they'd watched Happy Days. Probably. That's true. They did watch Happy Days. So, yeah. again, being a teen romance novel, of course the action focuses more on Haley falling in love with this boy from the past that she can't have a future with uh, instead of details about the vacation team of the world pre-Epcot Center <laughs> opening. And... You know, that's okay. Despite being a love story, it still manages to make my inner Disney nerd squeal with delight at every mention of old school Disney and Doctor Who. Seriously, there was like 50 Doctor Who references. Yeah, it was, that was pretty cool. You know, it, it, the romance didn't feel too heavy-handed. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, she got kind of gushy at times. But, you know, you can tell that Haley's really confused about her first love and not really sure what she should be doing. Should she stay with Jason or find a way back to her family? Hmm. And there were there were a few Back to the Future type moments, um, but you know it's 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 a really good read. Uh, in addition to River Country and Fort Wilderness, we get to visit parts of Discovery Island, you know, from 1982. And uh, you know we we've talked you know before recording the review how well Gabby does a really good job of bringing 1982 to life and presenting the fashion from the time the lingo talk about the she talks about the popular movies but you know the big question we have though is how well does she cover the fort wilderness details uh, from I, 1982 yeah i think really well i mean she captures all the yeah. details and she does a great job of bringing it back to life uh, a, a place that has been severely lacking life for many many years um i mean again the downside for me my inside was screaming go to the magic kingdom what are you doing <laughs> you're already sneaking around river country sneaking to pre-opening epcot center um because like, just mostly because for me i wanted to relive those places as well but yeah. other than that i think she did a great job of capturing the time and the place and though i, I kind of disagree with, with what you said george about the romance part for a girl trapped in the past she spent an awful lot of time fixating on a guy <laughs> rather than trying to find yeah. a way home or exploring the past. But again, she is a teenager, and what do they know? Yeah, no I offense to that. our teenage audience out there. What do <laughs> yeah, you guys you know. know? Tell me what you guys know. I don't remember what I knew as a teenager. <laughs> not much, that's all I can remember. No, not at all. Not knowing much. Well, anyways, sorry, we're getting all timey-wimey now. So, you know, it's one of those things that we've talked about, you know, wish we could travel through time. I mean, imagine taking our iPhones back to collecting or uh, getting so many, capturing so many of those great details. Um, but you know, for those of us that you know that would really like to try to relive some of Fort Wilderness and River Country, you know, from you know any time period when it was still open, you know, Gabby's book is a great slice of life from that time period. It's a fun story that's not going to revolutionize literature, but it's a great summertime read for the beach or even for lounging around Fort Wilderness. And you know, I mean, it. it I think it's focused towards you know tween and teen girls but i don't think that's the only audience for this book yeah i i, I definitely agree and it kind of like our love for uh, disneylanders by kate abbott uh yay. yay summer of yesterday you know it's another great title of disney fiction and i really do you know people of all ages disney nerds especially will enjoy it without a doubt so this week's book was summer of yesterday 
by Gabby Triana. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze! 60 Second Review! So we've got two Blu-ray compilations to talk about in the 60 Second Review, which means Sadly, it's going to be a little bit longer than 60 seconds. It always is. I know. Let's but not it's lie just, to ourselves. I know. I know. So, okay. So the first one up is the Blu-ray for um, Ichabod and Mr. Toad and Fun and Fancy Free. It's two for one in one Blu-ray. <laughs> it's actually three for one, but we'll get to oh, that in a second. But... Yay. So, okay. So, you know, this is a, a Blu-ray I've been waiting a long time for. I love uh, the Ichabod story. I love Mr. Toad. And I love one half of fun and fancy free. <laughs> um, I, I will agree with all of those statements, to be honest with you. Um, and actually, for for older films on Blu-ray, I thought they looked and sounded absolutely oh, yes. gorgeous. I yep. the colors popped. They they really looked really good. They sounded incredible. I was mm-hmm. thoroughly surprised. All of these films, um, the music's really important to them. Yes, you know, with Ichabod, you've got Bing Crosby, and like that, and Toad's got the very English sensibility to it and then of course fun and fancy free fun and fancy free has mickey and the beanstalk one of my favorite longer shorts of all time has the wonderful song uh songs with the harp um and it's it's like i said looks great brought back brought back a lot of great memories watching them when i was a child but for the second time in a row i fell asleep in the middle of bongo and i have no idea what happens sorry george yeah it's not my favorite short either but i mean for what it is it's totally worth it um, mm-hmm. Moving on to the extras, there's a bunch yeah. of extras on this disc. Uh, actually, they include the entire uh, Reluctant Dragon film, yes. which is a great behind-the-scenes look at Walt Disney Studios in the 40s, and it does look fantastic on Blu-ray. Yes. Very surprised. I mean, that's that's probably enough reason to buy this Blu-ray anyway. Actually, yeah, having that alone Dragon. on Blu-ray looks fantastic. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, especially, you know, actually having been there on the yeah. commuter tour and Heck seeing yes. some of those. Yes. Um, and there's also the, the story behind Fun and Fancy Free, you know, creating the package film. Um, there's a Legend of Holly, Legend of Sleepy Hollow storybook, and Mickey and the Beanstalk storybook, which just you know take you through the stories, you know, one frame, not one frame, but you know like a yeah, storybook. One story at a time. Basically, yeah, you're getting four movies for the price of one on one Blu-ray, five on one for one Blu-ray, and that, that disc is totally worth it. I totally think that. Definitely, yeah. Buy one now. It's awesome, especially with Halloween coming up. Heck yeah! It's great to watch the Ichabod one. I so what do you one. think about uh, the other Blu-ray, The Three Musketeers, well, George? <laughs> I was going to say, The Three Musketeers, surprisingly, one I'd never seen before. Both of, both of my boys had seen it. Really? And yeah, they, they I guess we have it on DVD or we'd watched it on video or something like that. You just but have I'd so never... many things, you don't remember what you have. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it, it was okay. You could tell it was a lot more modern. It was a lot more silly, a more irreverent look at the... Three Musketeers story. Uh, it does star Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. And if you watch any of the special features, they will tell you that over and over and over again that this is the first full-length feature film that all three of them starred in together. Yes, because it's Which, the first full-length feature film that the three of them starred in together. Just in case so, they didn't drive that point home. Yeah, it, for it you. just goes through. Um, you know, it, it it wasn't quite Saturday morning cartoon level. But it wasn't as good as a feature-length animated film it's that would have been middle. released in theater. Yeah, yeah, a lot better than those, uh, like Pocahontas Two. Yeah, the, the a lot better quest than for that. more money. It's definitely better than those uh, direct <laughs> that was, to DVD. No, sequels. that was Spaceballs. Too. Oh, that was Spaceballs. I'm sorry, I get them confused sometimes. That's right. That's right. So, sorry. Um, it was an okay watch. It's not. It's, uh, I'm not going to watch it again. 
I might eventually, 20, 25 years down the road, you know, when I'm reliving the Communicore Weekly Glory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I wasn't overly impressed by the special features either. I mean, no. they were okay. They were. It, it wasn't really anything we hadn't seen before. If you have the DVD, you already have yeah. all these special features. Yeah, a um, few extra deleted scenes and some deleted scenes with the commentary. Yeah. Uh, a really odd Get the Scoop, which was part of the original DVD release, release where they just had a, a, a woman walking around uh, the outside of the Team Disney building in Anaheim. Because she was getting then, the scoop, man. Yeah, it, yeah, and she was interviewing people. Uh, involved people I have never heard of before. Or since, so For I'm not shame. sure what happened to their For career. shame, George. But I never treated, heard of them either. I know they treated it like a real film, like you know they were casting and you know how they got the actors together. So it was kind of interesting, but it was it was I, I enjoyed seeing the backgrounds yeah. more. Well, that, that's so. just a lot. So uh, definitely thumbs up on the Ichabod, Ichabod and Mr. Toad and uh, Funny Fans um, Free yeah. Blu-ray, and Musketeers is an eh. If you're a fan, sure buy it. It's yeah. great to have it on Blu-ray. It does look good. It, it does, does look sound, great. You know, it, it, it looks good. It's just, uh, unless you're a big fan or a completionist, no reason to get it. So I'm not a completionist. What are you talking about? <laughs> it would have been great if the show had ended right there. Just there. That's it. Just right there. So. Well, we should just end the review right there. Like, oh. right now. Sometimes you might see it. Sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. We're going to tie the five-legged goat this week into our 60-second review a little bit. And, you know, we just talked about fun and fancy free. There is a nice little nod to Willie the Giant and Toontown in Disneyland. Now, if you head into the gag factory and take a look to the right of the store, there's a shelf above your head. And you'll find a bunch of boxes for stuff like whoopee cushions and a punchline. And, and behind that stuff, there's kind of an oddly shaped box that's closer to the wall. And if you look a little closer, you might need a, a zoom lens to see it. You'll see it has a tag on it that says, Singing Harp, Ship to W Giant. This, of course, is a nod to the singing harp that Willie steals from Happy Valley during the film. Yeah, they continue to mine that film, you know, at Sir Mickey's at the Magic Kingdom. We've covered that before. We it's have used that as a goat before. I think that was five like goats. the second five-legged goat we ever did. Yeah, that might have been the second one. And, you know, of course, you got the gigantic Willie. I love going in Sir Mickey's and just sort of, even if I'm not with anybody, I'm like, hey, everybody, look up to see, you know, Willie peeking in the roof. There's it's, Willie, it's so everyone. Say hello. Wonderful. And that, that is one of my favorite shorts. Me I love too. the music Me from too. it. Me too. Absolutely love it. Nice. Well, all right. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching and listening to another episode. And please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. Yep. You can email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. Yeah, I guess I left you a little pause there. You did. It was a dramatic pause. Some more, uh, yeah, snarky comments. Yes. Anyway, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communicor Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628. And don't forget you can pick up a copy of Communicor Weekly, the musical, and find out why we always say sorry squirrels. Uh, you can pick that up at Amazon, CD Baby, iTunes, and listen for free on Spotify. And, of course, like George mentioned at the very beginning of the show, be sure to check out the Communicore Weekly web store. Go to CommunicoreWeekly.com, click on the store, buy some shirts. They're great. <laughs> and uh, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. 
Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Can I talk to you later?